BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. First of all, it's lights come on, the priests come out at night. So, you know, when they come on, it's time to shine. You're listening to the From the Pink Seats podcast, powered by the State of Louisville Network. We are on the backside of the bye week and officially at the midway point of the season for Louisville football to talk about what we've seen on and off the field for the cards. We're excited to be joined by Tyler Griever of WHS 11. Tyler, how are you, buddy? I'm great, man. I love the fact you guys have me on. I've, I've seen Matt uh, around a lot. And it was the first time meeting you, it's really funny for me in the pandemic to see people in person or virtually that I like know on Twitter, but I haven't gotten to meet. Right. Uh, so this is a nice experience. So I'm glad. Yeah. To be here. Well, we'll have to make it in person over some, yeah. some beers and bourbon, the official Louisville way. Oh, but 100%. It is, it's, it's always great to meet people from the internet. Like people talk about, do you know anybody off of the internet that you've like weren't friends with? And I'm like, yeah, a bunch of people. It's kind of weird. That's like a sports thing, apparently. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's always great. 90% of the time it's great. Um, in my experience though. Yeah. It, it's cool. And Louisville Twitter is fun, man. I mean, it's, it's very engaged. Like uh, even during the game, sometimes it's like a little too engaged with, with things like, okay, guys, like rain it back a little bit. It's not that bad, uh, but I like it. It shows how much people care. So I enjoy it. At any given time, there's somewhere between like 15 to 20,000 coaches, uh, Louisville coaches on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, if you're watching in, in the game, but, I mean, yeah. the, it's, it's incredible. The spectrum of things you get. All right. Speaking of Louisville, let's start there before we get into talking about football. You've been in the city now for a little while. Uh, what's, what surprised you most about living here and just the support, yeah. the sports community outside of the internet here in the city of Louisville? That's a good question. Um, you know, honestly, before I ever came here, I had heard nothing but really good things, uh, about Louisville um I had friends who had worked here previously either in TV or for the courier and um when I was looking at the job I hit them up and I was like okay like you know give me the lowdown about it and all of them just had really good things to say uh affordable to live in very fun to live in it's just got a great balance of like being big enough to enjoy but not big enough to like overwhelm you you know traffic's not really a problem again it's not very expensive to live here and uh, I just love the way the city's laid out. I love the different neighborhoods, how each one kind of has their own vibe, like specifically. Uh, it's very quirky, and I think it has a lot of character to it. It's not over-commercialized. Uh, you know, so I've, I've heard people say before, like, um, I want Louisville to be Nashville. Don't put me in that group. No. I don't want Louisville to be Nashville, like, whatsoever. It could do – obviously, it's a city that has flaws like every city has, and you want to work to better those and develop, but, like – um i love it the way it is so i I, honestly i don't think i'm surprised that i enjoy it as much as i do um we stay busy man that's one thing for like 
a sports market, sometimes in this job, you look at markets, you're like, okay, who's got pro teams or whatever. And, you know, to have the soccer clubs racing loose city on top of uh, one of the best college sports teams in the country, arguably, in my opinion, the best college sports market in the country um, with the horse racing and stuff. I mean, it's, it's, it's a privilege. So I really enjoy it. I love it. And it's a good job. Yeah, the, the way I've always described Louisville to people, it's a big city with a small town feel. Yeah, I've actually heard yeah, from a lot, lot of people that it's very similar to Austin, Texas. I've never been there before. Maynard, yes, Maynard. Maynard, what up, boy? <laughs> always got to make his appearance in the show. Yeah, always. but you're you're right. I, I say the same thing. You run into somebody and you're like, oh yeah, I met I, you know I know your dad from this place, or I met your brother a long time ago, and you say Louisville's the the biggest small town in the country. It's crazy, man. Everybody knows everybody's business regardless of the fact that there's a million people here. Like it's, it's yeah. just unreal. And I read something very influential to me from uh, Adam Lefko's exit interview he did with the courier before he left to go work for Bleacher Report. Uh, and obviously I don't need to explain Adam to anybody. He's a really talented guy and he's, he's having great success. Um, I emailed him and asked him about Louisville and was like, Hey man, like um, I know you worked there for a while. Like what were your impressions of it? He loved it. Uh, loved Kent. But I, when I read his interview with the Courier, he was like, you know, I've had I've talked to other places about, you know, going for certain jobs or whatever. But like, I just think Louisville is so like slept on. Basically, it's like a gem, and and there's so many there's so much stuff here that you can capitalize on and enjoy if you really do want to make it big. And I just don't view it as like that dreaded phrase like a stepping stone type of thing i'm not gonna sit here and say like i'm sign me up for life i'm here you never know what's gonna happen but like right. Right. i i would i think what his point was like you don't just have to leave here to leave here to go somewhere else like i i don't view this place that way and i think he was 100 percent right yeah there's more than enough opportunities in most fields here where you can conceivably make an entire career just here yeah 100 and, and enjoy your life i mean there, there's so many things nearby in the city and it's fun it's fun professionally i enjoy it but personally i'm enjoying it as as much as anywhere i've ever been right i mean i left atlanta to come back here so that should say a lot <laughs> there you go. but anyways exactly. let's kind of real back things a little bit back talk uh, about Louisville football obviously there's been no shortage of storylines on both sides of the ball offense is looking really good defense not so much but what do you think has been the single biggest storyline of the season thus far in your own opinion oh god um wow that's hard um, I would say every game outside of like Ole Miss and Eastern Kentucky has just been, there's been no like moment to really relax. I think against Virginia, you thought there was, and then the worst possible thing happened. Uh, the storyline to me in the beginning of the season was okay. The offensive line isn't living up to what the coaching staff said it was. They have actually started to play better. I think, I think they've rounded out and they're solid. Um, what is overwhelming to me now is that the defense was hyped up more than anything entering the season as the best of the Satterfield era, the best that Brian Brown has had. And we're at a point now where you have to acknowledge that it's not living up to that. Uh, they are giving up way too many big plays. They are being burned consistently. And that's not taking away the, the offensive criticisms either, right? Because I, I think there are times, and I asked Scott about it today, I think there are times they're just too conservative. You know, a lot of people were concerned about how Malik Cunningham was going to look this year after having a down year last year. He's not turning the ball over, and he's playing as well as any quarterback in, in the ACC. Uh, he's using his legs so effectively in the red zone, and I think he's throwing the ball very well. I just want to see them put the ball in his hands more in passing situations when you have a lead and you have your foot on somebody's throat, 
They could have done that against Virginia. I know they ran the ball well in the third quarter, but you got to let your best player put the game away at times. And I just don't think they let him do that enough. Uh, but there's no doubt to me that the defense is the biggest problem right now. And I think considering the amount of hype entering the season around that unit and where it is right now, that's probably the biggest storyline uh, of concern because it, it's kind of hard to do, – do you go with a positive I, – I think you guys would agree because you've followed the program for a while. I'm not sure it's a positive vibe around the program right now. You're three and three, and that's fine. It could be better. Uh, but it seems to take on a more critical tone than a positive tone with that record. See, uh, my, here's my viewpoint on it. I think a lot of people, you know, like the general consensus was that bowl eligibility was the minimum expectation yeah. with potential to go seven and five, maybe even eight and four. If and that's breaks within came reach. Way. That's totally there. Yeah. And, and they're at three and three. Bowl eligibility is still very much in the running, mm-hmm. but the manner at which they got to three and three is yeah. why some people are a little more critical than optimistic. Because if they were three and three and were super competitive in most of their games, you know, sans Ole Miss, because I'm let's be honest, sure. they, they weren't winning that game. No, especially probably. with how Ole Miss is playing now. I mean, mm-hmm. they got humbled by Alabama, but everyone but Texas AM can get humbled by Alabama, apparently. Right, right. But the, the fact that they have the opportunity to get in the driver's seat in the Atlantic division, had the opportunity to put several of these teams in the conference away. And they've week after week continuously shown that they they just simply are not doing that. And if yeah. if they were competitive at three and three, I think fans would be a lot more optimistic. But considering they've shown very clear consistency issues, that's why a lot of fans are not like super optimistic that they could reach a bowl. And I think that ties back to the overarching theme of something that we haven't mentioned. And I guess you could argue this was the biggest storyline entering the year was how secure is Scott Satterfield? Because, you know, I think he brought a lot of that on himself with the whole South Carolina situation last year. And it revved up the fan base deservedly to a point after what everybody's been through in the past with coaches to put this kind of pressure on. It seems like every game we're turning into a, okay, what does this say about Scott Satterfield and his future at Louisville? And that's, I'm I'm not sure that's really fair for a coach. Um, But I think the consistency issues you're referencing do have to tie back to the coaching staff in, in some way. There is a, there definitely are lapses in major moments where they have given games away. And yes, players have to make plays, but coaches have to put them in the best position to do that. And it's fair to question if they've been doing that in those major moments. You're exactly right. And I thought his com- Scott Satterfield's comments today on Monday, which let me kind of preface our recording time or sometime in the mid afternoon on Monday, Scott Satterfield just spoke to the media a few hours ago. These guys were actually together like 15 minutes ago, but <laughs> um, I thought his tone was a little bit different today. He talked a little bit about, we've got to, you know, we've got to do better offensively, defensively coaching and, and all that. And great, Scott, that's great. But the problem I've had Tyler all season is, I, the fans were already kind of on the fence about what expectations should look like. And then the coaches started talking and all off season at every corner, they praise their guys, which good for them, right? That's what you want. You want coaches that'll go to bat for you. But then they made comment after comment about this is the best we've had here. This is the best we've had there. And then it gets out on the field and it's not that. And now six weeks in Scott Tyderfield talks about execution. Execution is lacking. Well, to me, that falls back on you guys because we're seeing what's going on on the field. We're seeing where the mistakes are. We've done segment after segment here of, play you know x if you if you get the stop here they don't score a touchdown and scott's outfield alluded to we're a few plays away from five and one 
Um, but why do you think execution wise, is it the, the players aren't good enough? The coaches aren't good enough. Like what I, I try to kind of wrap my head around it and I just don't get it. I just don't get it. Well, I I'm going to go a little bigger here for a second. I have a prop like, I have a problem with how we evaluate a lot of stuff in general nowadays, because in very rare instances, is it so black and white? Like, I think there's a lot of gray and we could probably go both sides here with that. Um, the thing with the preseason hype is every coaching staff in the country does that. They do that. Everybody's in the best shape of their life for, you know, this guy looks so different and, and, you know, that's what, we get fed and it's on us to a point to kind of filter through that and see what's really true. So that there's some responsibility on our shoulders for that too, sure. uh, of right. figuring that out. Um, I think in certain position groups, you know, the wide receivers to me are better than I thought they were going to be. Mm -hmm. I think they have found a nice role for each of them in the offense. Like Harold is taking the tops off the of defenses. Malik trust Marshawn, Jordan and Justin in those tough situations to make some big catches over the middle or on the sidelines. Uh, I think those guys are solid. And look, Huggins Bruce, like we all know, he had the big gaffe uh, against Eastern Kentucky, but I think he's starting to find a little bit of a role. So th they have filled in nicely, better than I thought that they probably would. Um, but defensively, the one area that stands out to me when, when we talk about players not playing well versus the coaches not putting them in positions, I think this ties together is the pass rush. Mm -hmm. They are not good enough off of the edge. Outside of Abdullah, who is, I think – you know, you can make an argument him and Malik are probably the two best players on the team this year. Uh, and then I would say Gelati as a freshman played really well, and we know the coaching staff loves him. Uh, nobody else is really stepping up to produce a consistent pass rush, and that's a problem. So with that in mind, it ties into something that Scott talked about today, is how do you scheme pressure then? How are you able to make quarterbacks uncomfortable when you can't rush three or four consistently and make – or create problems for an offense. And that came to bite them against Virginia. He acknowledged it today saying that they should have brought more pressure late in the game. They are not good enough up front to be able to just sit back and, and play coverage. Now, is that going to put some pressure on your secondary? Yeah, but uh, you know, I, I go back and forth with the secondary sometimes this year. It, it has its moments where I think Keytrail Clark's a very good player. I, I think he's, he's solid. You can rely on him. Uh, Duncan has been solid coming up, making hits. Uh, but there really are some lapses in coverage sometimes, whether it's, uh, you know, Keith Wins talked about this a lot, and I always like his stuff, where the, the, the ability to lapse in zone coverage and, and not be able to play your outside leverage versus your inside leverage and let a guy sit there and get open and allow, you know, some of those killer third down conversions, mm -hmm. that's where they got to get better. So I, I, I hope this is fully answering your question of, of it's, it's a multifaceted issue of that, you know, from a talent standpoint, and I'm not saying this just because I, I see a lot of these kids play every week covering high school. You know, I look at a kid like Sayla Brown, and I know Louisville was in his final three. Like, that's got to be someone to me that you get because that is a position you're just not great at and you haven't been good at for, what, the past couple of years? Like, who, who is the last good Louisville edge rusher? Like, you could really remember or just I mean, um, was... end or on the front seven. It was James Hearns. James Hearns and uh, God, I'm gonna blank on the name of the the outside linebacker that played with him. But that those were the last time. Uh, that was 2017, 2016. Devontae Fields was in the mix. That was the last time they had a pass yeah, rush of any uh, any kind. This isn't me telling you like Sale is a guarantee, like he's gonna be a college star. But we're talking about male high school man, like a yeah. pipeline to right, not just right. Louisville football, but Louisville athletics in general. Um, 
that's a position they have to improve in, yeah. in this next recruiting class and in the next couple of years. So those are the first things that kind of stick out to me. And overall, I think Scott talked a lot more about being aggressive today, not just uh, with blitzes, but, you know, I asked him, I was like, look, do you see more opportunities late in games for Malik to throw the ball or to put the ball in his hands more when you do have a lead. And I think he, he kind of talked around it a little bit and then eventually got to the point where it's like, yes, we don't, you know, want to sit back. And, and that's, that's gotta be a change because he's got to have a pulse or a temperature check of the fan base to know that this fan base would rather see you go deep and go into games with an attitude to win, as opposed to, Oh God, we got the lead. Let's not lose. I firmly believe that. Uh, yeah. Because I, I feel like from the Louisville fan base, like I know there's a lot of people who are just whatever, they're going to be anti Scott from the, the here until the moment he leaves Louisville, whatever that is. Right. But mm. then there's a lot of fans who want to support him. People like me who go to the game, just hoping like Louisville will get it turned around this game. And it's one thing to win football games or to lose football games when you are balls to the wall, trying to make it happen, big play, you know, doing everything that you can to win the football game. And there's another, there's another way and it's losing by doing everything not to lose. And yet you still lose anyway. And that is why the fan support is leaking very quickly. And Saturday against Virginia last weekend, it was just hard to see the state, the stadium so empty this early in the season, you know, like Louisville fans for a long time have communicated their way about a, high, a head coach by attendance. They either come or they don't come. Um, and Saturday, I really, really thought, you know, you're coming off of a Wake Forest game where you, you do a couple of things and you win the game. You're a completely different football game, probably ranked at that point. Um, and I thought that Louisville fans would show up, but they've communicated that they don't believe that he's the, the guy. That's what they, they think. And when you go into games like Virginia and you lose down the stretch because you make bad play calls, gives every fan in the, in the building reason to doubt you. And I think that's where we are, Matt. Don't you agree? Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, you, you can make the case for a lot of fan bases that like fans will – will kind of vote with their feet, like in terms of vote of confidence in a coach. But I mean, Louisville fans have a track record of like doing that. And like you, I was a little bit shocked to see that stadium against Virginia as empty as it was. On one hand, I can kind of understand because from a fan's perspective, I can understand being upset with the conservative play calling on both offense and defense because they've they're playing so scared and playing not to lose, playing not to lose so hard that it's coming full circle and it's causing them to lose. Right. And the, it seemed like the problem was in some of these games was that I mean, at least up until this press conference where Satterfield kind of acknowledged that they should have done things a little bit different up until that point, it seemed like the coaching staff didn't fully recognize it, which is why I was kind of uh, satisfied to see Satterfield sort of acknowledge that now, whether or not that comes to fruition, against Boston College remains to be seen, but at least Satterfield is starting to acknowledge that, okay, this play not to lose approach that we've taken over the last few games. Yeah. That's it doesn't work. probably not working. Well, eventually the, work. tape, the tape don't lie. Right. No. I mean, I, that's what it comes down to. It's like, you know, I think coaches use the tape as like, they can use it as a shield sometimes, like, cause they know that people aren't going to wa like watch it that intently to cover whatever it is they're talking about. But like, when it's that readily on display, because there's no sugarcoating it. That was a total collapse against Virginia. There had no, I mean, I was sitting in the press box and I had to go, um, go to the soccer game that night, I think for Lou city. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm leaving. Like I, I got to go get to this game and yeah. beat some traffic. And then I'm like, I watched him score the last touchdown. Uh, I think it was to make it like a, maybe a two possession game or something. I was like, yeah, maybe and, uh, there was no excuse. To lose that game so once that happened uh the excuses of playing conservative got to stop flowing so it's kind of your 
you know, I, I hate saying the make or break point. Cause I feel like we've said that three or four times this year with, with yeah, them, yeah. but like, you know, Boston college is going to present a, a different challenge and, and they need a good showing. They definitely do. Okay. So Michael Scott went in front of the Dunder Mifflin um, shareholders and told them he's got a 40 day <laughs> plan, one point for every day to get Dunder Mifflin back. What does Scott Satterfield do on Saturday to get that going in the right direction for Louisville football? What is his 40-day plan? Like, what are the easy fixes that you come out against Boston College and you make? Number one, just trust your quarterback more, uh, honestly. I, I don't – I'm not trying to run the Malik Cunningham PR train every time I talk about Louisville football, but, you know, this is a program that prides itself on quarterback play and has seen plenty of good ones and. I think the kid came in with a lot of pressure to not turn the ball over and try to get back to his 2019 form. And he's doing about every bit as much as he can to do that. This is not a young quarterback. This is someone who's been with you for a few years. Let him run the show and go. I think that's the first thing they need to do because the running back position, they have a myriad of options at this point, but none of those guys are, wow, we have to get, Hassan Hall 20 carries or we have to give Jalen you know I think they're all nice players and they're all finding roles and I think Cooley by the end of the season might take it over because Scott's liked him since the beginning of the year and he made it a point again today to, mm-hmm. to say he thinks his big game is coming um, but that this team needs to run through Malik Cunningham period enough of like we have to establish the run don't force handoffs like let your best player dictate the pace of the game that's what needs to happen um, on defense uh, you do need to try and create more pressure packages somewhere. There has to be more creative blitzes. There has to be more of an aggressive approach because, uh, you know, one of the guys who I don't think is living up to expectations of the front seven is a guy like Yaya Diopi's not yeah. living up to what the staff thought he could do. So unless there's a change there and you can get healthier up front and count on Ashton Gelati to, to keep ascending. And it, I just think there's way too much pressure on him and Abdullah to create pressure. So those are the, first two things that come to mind to me where it's like, let your quarterback dictate the pace of the game and find a way to either, I don't know if it's blissing more disguising more to try and create more pressure, but those are the two things that got to happen. Right. And, and, and they have to make some sort of changes on defense. Cause I mean, there, it seems like from the comments of the staff, uh, it, it's alluding to the fact that they're kind of scared to play man to man. So that's why they opt for so much drop eight zone coverage, but it, it, it's shown that it's not really working and is playing man to man going to be, that imperative to your team that it's not going to be better than what's already being displayed on the field. That's, that's what yeah. I have the hardest uh, time of understanding as, as why they're so scared to abandon this approach for fear of what could happen when they run that as opposed yeah. to what they're already putting out. Yeah, I agree. And, and losing Monty Montgomery was a major blow that I think maybe we, I don't, I don't want to say gloss over, but we don't mention it enough. It's not only the fact that he was a playmaker on that side of the ball, but he's a, an experienced player with Avery the kind of quarterback, uh, all of that in the middle of the defense. So I think that also, and he's also pretty good coming for pressure as well. He's got plenty right. of sacks over the years. Um, but this game against Boston College is an opportunity to change that up because as he alluded to today, they do present a different challenge than the spread offenses of, of Central Florida and Old Miss and those teams. Like Boston College is going to want to run the ball. They're going to want to keep it in tight. Uh, I know Zay Flowers is good at receiver. I'm not questioning that, but they're not going to be out there throwing the ball 40 times or something. So maybe this is an opportunity to try and bring pressure and let your corners play some man-to-man or let your safeties be, you know, have a little bit more freedom back there. Uh, That's what I would look out for. 
Yeah, with the schedule that they that Louisville has left, which obviously includes Boston College on Saturday, uh, then you've got North Carolina State, Clemson, Syracuse, Duke, and then you close with Kentucky. In your mind, how many wins do you see out of that group of six? Yeah, I, I have had an interesting time trying to go back and forth about that because a couple of weeks ago, I really thought eight was attainable. And now it's, it's a little more challenging. Uh, North Carolina State looks better than I thought they were going to be. Clemson looks worse, but I just think the talent gap is still too wide to say you're going to beat Clemson. So those, to me, are losses. Um, Kentucky, I would also probably say, is a loss because Kentucky is, is a good team. I mean, that defense – look, the Georgia game, like, I, I, I'm not here to run the moral victory bandwagon because there's none of that. They, they were not good enough to beat Georgia. And, frankly, I don't know if anybody is this year. Right. Um, but right now, I don't know if Louisville is consistent enough to be able to break that defense, which is typically good, and to stop the run consistently enough that you know Kentucky's going to want to do that. So that's three right off the bat. Uh, I do think the Kentucky game is more winnable than, than a game against Clemson this year, just because, again, of that talent gap. But, um, you know, it, you're going to learn. I, I think you'll be able to take away a lot from, from a game against Boston College a solid team that you should be able to, I think, take advantage of. Maybe you have a little bit of a talent gap advantage in that situation because I don't think Boston College is lighting the world on fire on the recruiting trail. Um, last time I checked, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Um, so it's, I, I see six or seven a, as the finishing touch for them, and I, that's about what you expected, I guess. It's kind of hard to do like a hot take, like takeaway yeah, from, from right. that for me. It's like, okay, they make a bowl game and kind of move on. Like, I don't really have a big, big take on that. Yeah, I think the hot take would be they win four out of that six, and then you're thinking to yourself, okay, well, they get a probably a Kentucky win, an NC State win in there. I mean, that's the hot take. But or maybe even Clemson, because as, as much of a talent gap as Clemson has, that offense can't score on anyone. Yeah, they've not, nice. they've not looked good. I have not watched much of them, but the highlights I've seen, it's just it, it looks like somebody somehow stole Clemson's jerseys and just like snuck a different team out there. It's like a Bishop <laughs> Sycamore type of situation with Clemson <laughs> this year. I mean, it's crazy. It's like they just don't look like as as big and dominant as they have in years past. No. But then they come to Louisville and we'll we'll see what happens there. Um, but I, you know, I look at this and I I see you're you're probably right, right? You 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 probably end up with six, seven wins and there's no reason to feel like, okay, this season was a massive failure. Maybe it's not where you thought you were going to get, uh, but it's still in, in a spot for year three, considering what Louisville was in 2018 to now, it, you know, you can kind of build off of it, but what happens in your opinion? Let me ask you this one more football question. And then Matt will close us with a little Mar Jackson question for you. What happens if Louisville go say like two and four and they, they lose to BC, they lose to NC state, they drop a game, you know, to, to, Kentucky, Clemson. I mean, and that puts them at what five and five and seven. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, if you don't make if you don't make a bowl game this year, then that you're not going to be able to quiet anybody uh, around here about uh, moving on from Scott. And look, I, I'll be honest. I think some of it's going to be very warranted because that is that is a failure. I, I do think this is a at least a team that should be going to a bowl game, and that's a yeah. bare minimum. Right. Um, even the games we're mentioning, like. They're capable of – I fully think they're capable of beating NC State, Clemson, or Kentucky. I it's really just dependent on what Louisville team shows up. Show, exactly. Like, what consistency is there to be able to give you the confidence to say they are absolutely beating one of those teams? You steal one of those wins, get your gimmies against Syracuse and Duke, there's your bowl eligibility. 
it's right there within your grasp. Um, but if, if they cannot get to at least six, uh, we're going to have a pretty interesting discussion on, on our hands in, in terms of evaluating Scott's future, because I, I don't know if Louisville can afford to try. And I mean that in a financial sense to try and move on from him. I, I really, yeah. I, I don't know. And then it's the other question of like, who's out there? Who, yeah. who do you want? I, I look, we can just hit this on the head now. And Matt and I were talking about this earlier. I don't get how anybody is talking about Ed Ogeron as like why why you would want. Oh, him. dude. Uh, okay, oh if you God. give Louisville I, I fan, if you give Louisville fans enough time, they will tell you. Deion Sanders like, should be the head coach. They'll tell you I'm that. Like, come on, man. Like, th- yeah, it's crazy. That's ridiculous. That's that's not a thing. So. It's crazy. And and uh, I, let me. I'm gonna. I, I do want to interrupt you just for a quick thing. I want to yeah, throw this yeah. out there. Is this is how I see this is gonna go? And right. This, it's, I think that this is the best case scenario. You get to the end of season five and seven, six and six, seven and five. If it's seven and five, maybe it's different. But if you're six and six and five and seven, Vince goes to Scott Satterfield and he says, Hey, here's what we're going to do. You're going to fire your staff. We're going to go out. We're going to hire, you're going to hire a new staff mm-hmm. and you're going to get this thing going. We're going to pull a Chris Mack and we're going to fire your buddies. And we're going to, we're going to get back to win in Louisville football way. And if Scott says, no, I can't do that then Scott, we're going to have to help you find another job somewhere else. And, and, you know, I, I think that there's a real likelihood that Vince is going to have to put an ultimatum and you fire your staff, which, I mean, you heard Scott Satterfield say today, there's no blaming his friends on that staff. He's not going to say anything bad about his buddies, the guys that he goes to war with. And I get it, but if you can't win football games, that goes out the window. And, and that's where I think we're headed towards. If they don't, they don't play well down the stretch. And, you know, I, I'm curious to see how Louisville fans will react to that. I really am. Yeah, I think a lot of this, and I said it before the season with Scott and Chris, is that there is a lot of self-evaluation going on. And we this remains to be seen how well it goes for Louisville basketball. But I'll give Chris this much credit in that he was able to step back, put his ego to the side, and say, here are the things that maybe I'm lacking a little bit at, and I'm going to bring in some guys who right. can help in that situation. It remains to be seen if Scott can do that same thing if he's pushed to do it now we this might not even be a conversation if they go on a run and win finish with eight or nine wins again that that would be a heck of a run and good for them but uh i i don't see that happening i don't see nine wins happening and i think eight is a really good year um maybe not really good just a good year but that's gonna be the key point and and i i agree with with what he's saying on that like that he might have to get pushed to a point to make that kind of change, or they will have to move on if he's not willing to do it. Agreed. And again, we might not even need to have this discussion if they're able to fire off a really good second half run. Cause as uh, we, as we said before, Louisville has the capability to make, to probably potentially now this is, I'm not saying this is going to happen, but there could be a situation in which they do go six no down the stretch. I mean, we saw what they did in the first half against Florida State. We saw what they did in the third quarter against Virginia. If Louisville can put together a four-quarter performance, they I think they could be any one of these remaining six teams on the schedule. Yeah. Then I, again, I, yeah. if like a second half Florida State team shows up, if a fourth quarter Virginia team shows up, they the exact opposite could happen. So it's it's really dependent on what kind of adjustments the coaching staff makes. And quite frankly, for a lot of the guys on staff, I'm not going to name any names, but like it could be make or break with how they perform. Not maybe not as a whole, as a team whole, but maybe in, in certain units, Yeah. like de- depending if, if they can, if certain units continue to look bad or don't show, you know, any like some sort of improvement from the first half, I could, I could see several assistants, maybe not several, like one or two assistants 
get the boot after this season is over. And you're already talking about this after they just had an offseason of turnover with assistance. They already lost. They already made a lot of changes. Um, so I, I think, with again, when you look at those Kentucky, Clemson, NC State games, I don't expect them to win those. Those are uphill battles. The other ones are much more winnable, or I would even venture to say I expect them to win. I think Boston College is a solid team, but I think Louisville can match up well enough. They've got the opportunity since Phil Jerkovich is not going to be the quarterback. Dennis Grossell, he's he's good, but he's more of a game manager type quarterback. He's he's, exactly he's he can just keep things uh, to enough of a point where it's not going to be like a disaster. I I have a biased perspective on Boston College because I watched him play Missouri, my alma mater. (laughs) Missouri can't stop anybody from running the football so boston college just did that at will and mizzou was still somewhat in that game so you know i i think they got a better shot against bc again duke and syracuse should be write them off wins they find a way to lose one of those they're going to bring a whole lot more criticism to them um but it's i just feel like a lot of what happened with scott last year has dragged over in into this year and i don't blame fans for that and and it, no. it really has turned every game into a well, what do we think? What's what's up with this guy? Is this the guy or not? And it's not healthy for no. a fan base to be doing that after every single game. And, and I get it. Again, like, I'm not here to tell you how to be a fan, especially, A, I haven't been here that long, and B, you guys have seen a hell of a lot of stuff with football coaches. So I'm not the guy to tell you how to feel. Um, so I get it, man. But it's – you know, it all it all starts this weekend. They, I think, they have a much a very winnable opportunity against a solid team to show some improvement, take advantage of some matchups, and they got to do it. This now you're up against it. Now you're three and three, so you got to find a way to get three or four wins. I agree, and, and, and with Boston College specifically, Louisville very much has the the opportunity to take advantage of them because we saw what NC State did in that third quarter. I mean. NC State lit the world on fire against them, and, and Boston College had no answer, which is similar to that what Louisville did against Virginia. Problem is, if Louisville puts himself in that same situation, they got to hold on to that lead and, you know, protect that and not have this yeah. plan to lose mentality. Well, just imagine how differently we're discussing all of this if you just – I mean, those are just two winnable games back to back. Now, now, the flip side of that, though, is, is that the problems you alluded to earlier with the coaching staff and the consistency contributes to how you drop those games, which is the whole overarching problem of, of like – being able to trust Scott and this staff this year, this is why people don't because they have not been able to establish a consistent enough effort to close out games like that. So, you know, it's, it's a crapshoot sometimes, but that's football, man. And it goes, it's a couple of plays here or there that's going to determine each game. And, you know, yeah. they, they hate, hate to use the same, yeah. Hate to use the same cliche that Scott's been using, but there are a few plays away from five, one, but there are also a few plays away from being one and five. You know, it is what it is. All right. Before we wrap things up here, I'd be remiss to not ask a Lamar Jackson type question, especially yeah. considering you're, you're repping the Ravens right now with the Ravens hat. I can dig yep. it. I, I I've got a, I was planning on asking like, you know, some general scope of Lamar Jackson's impact, but, some a comment that Satterfield had in his most recent press uh, presser kind of kind of stuck with me. He he mentioned how, of course, he said all the right things. Like he's had tremendous impact. He's changed the game, yada yada yada. But he also mentions that there isn't a single recruit that they talk to where they don't mention Lamar Jackson. Mm-hmm. And I remember when he first won the Heisman. One of my immediate thoughts, and as, as it pertains to the long game was that Louisville was going to go on an insane recruiting tear and be able to just capitalize on the fact that they had a Heisman winner 
and a player of his caliber come through Louisville. And it's not all in Satterfield since then. Obviously, Petrino had a lot to do with, with it too. But with Satterfield specifically, is it a bit disappointing that Louisville hasn't been able to recruit up to the standards we thought they could using Lamar Jackson as a talking point? Because it seems like whenever you've got someone like that and you're, t- you're mentioning it to every single recruit, you're able to talk to them like, like saying, obviously maybe an offensive lineman, because that's, but you get the idea. Like, hey, this could, you could be the next Heisman winner. Like, you see what we did with Lamar Jackson, what can we do for you? Is it a little bit disappointing to see the recruiting, especially in this class, maybe not live up to what we thought it was going to be? I mean, the last year's class was was solid on paper. Was it the best? No, but it, it was there. There were some great pieces in there. But with this 22 class, I mean, granted, it was going to be a small class anyways, but mm-hmm. it seems like in this class, there's a lot more. I hate to even use this phrase, but a lot more project type guys than like surefire. Well, maybe not yeah. surefire because recruiting is such a fickle business, but like yeah. cer- certified good gets. Yeah, well, I think part of it is is Louisville. I'm not sure Louisville is a program where you're going to have immediate impact freshmen. You know, they're rare enough in college football as it is. Uh, but I mean, hell, even some of the, the best players in the country, when they go to some of the best programs in the country, they're not immediately making a difference for them. Um, so, you know, yeah, it's I, not again, like basketball. No, it's not. It's a much different ball game. There's a bigger adjustment. There's a lot more bodies to deal with a lot more depth to, to try and sort through. So, uh, you know, one guy, I mean, you look at, I, I bring him up again. I think Gelati is a good example of somebody who, who is making an impact as a really young player. Uh, for them and, and the other guy you know look at a guy like uh, Jordan Watkins comes to mind who started to come on a little bit towards the end of last season and now gets to step into a bigger role as is still a young player as a sophomore and I think he he is producing or finding a niche and and beginning to take on a bigger role so that's where where I think Louisville has to use as examples right now is is those type of guys who you know, year one, you might have to develop a little bit more, but you're going to get an opportunity more than likely in year two with some turnover. Um, to the Lamar question, I can't really speak to it as in depth as others can, because I haven't been here very long to, to evaluate the recruiting classes in depth and, and such. But bottom line is you have to milk that exposure of him being as good as he is. Um, because A, you know, in my view, he's the best player in, in program history is the only Heisman winner and not only that but he as Scott said he has changed the game in a lot of ways of showing kids that I, I think one of the biggest prevailing messages about Lamar's success is like nobody has to put you in a box you can be whoever you want to be as a player because think of what how many people have tried to say you know you're not you can't run that much or you know, you got to be strictly a pocket passer. You got to stop leaving and things like that. Um, and he's doing everything well. He, he's the most dynamic rummer I've probably ever seen. And I include Michael Vick with that. Um, the pocket passing has been there. Don't get me started on that. That's been for That's been there for years. I don't understand yeah. why people have fallen behind on it. Um, but to watch him become who he is, you know, he is. I just don't think he's just a star anymore. Like he, he is a, a model for a lot of young players out there. 
to be able to say like, Hey, you know, just trust in your ability, trust in, in your God given right. athletic ability to be able to play anywhere and do anything. And that's what Louisville has to keep. Just, uh, I, I was happy to hear that Scott uses it in every recruiting pitch because oh, yeah. I, I would be like, I'd be hyping it up and including him in every, every video, every promotional poster, whatever. The fact that he's going to get a statue, I think at some point uh, that's, in the works hopefully you know going to be done here in the, in the near future um but retiring his number was an easy step it, it was good and i'll i'll say this the recruiting thing you're talking about you know a video like they made with that announcement of him you know surprising him with that that's a great look that's a really great look because not only is that video showing okay we're invested in you as a player but i think Lamar being who he was at Louisville is a lot different than Lamar being who he was at one of the bigger programs in the country. Because if you can be that guy here, nobody will forget you ever. Like Mm -hmm. the fact that uh, it's been really fun for me as a Ravens fan, because I came here and there's so many people who want to watch every Ravens game. Like it, I don't think it's normal that this, that, you know, I'm not, WLKY does what they want with their programming and I love it for this but like they show a lot of Ravens games on CBS because they know people are going to watch here that's a very unique thing um so to yeah your- I mean you you saw what they did with that Broncos Ravens game a couple weeks back I oh mean, my god it was huge. like the entire east coast was watching and, and Pittsburgh Panthers you, and that one little pocket around Louisville had Broncos Ravens they I don't think the football program did enough with that I think there should have been multiple videos and, and I mean, every day on social media, you got to be pumping that. Those are the two of the best players, two of the most recognizable players in Louisville football history, especially of the past, what, 25 years. I mean, it's Lamar oh, yeah. and Teddy. No That's question. how people know Louisville football is those two players. Um, so I, I think they could have done a better job with that. And that speaks more to what you're talking about. It's like the, our success stories and me saying are as if I was Louisville football, they need to be everywhere in, in our recruiting because that, that I think something that's something Kentucky has done pretty well uh, in the recent recruiting strides they've made in recent years beyond what, what Vince um, Arrow has done and such is that yeah. they're pretty on top of it with, with who's succeeding in the pros. And Louisville's got one of the biggest stars in the league. So pump it out, get him in everything and keep promoting him because it, it will show kids that you can take advantage of what Louisville has to offer and become a player like that. Yeah. It, it seems like, I mean, not to say Louisville hasn't marketed Lamar Jackson, but it seems like there could be a lot more that they could have done. And, and I think uh, the ret- retiring the Jersey might be a start of that um, to try and incorporate him a little more. I mean, hell like the, the plaster him on the stadium for goodness sakes. I mean, every, yeah. you know, I haven't look, I've only, I haven't got to really walk around Cardinal stadium a ton, but like there probably shouldn't be a section of that place that doesn't have a throwback picture of him or not even just him. I mean, the, the Johnny Hughes of the world or like, um, I mean, Johnny United is one of the most recognizable football names in history. One of the greatest players ever, um, you know, guys like that. And, and Teddy, like the, their quarterback success as a whole is something that the marketing team, I think should be working on that. To, to some degree, because they have a very unique position in college football to be one of those universities that consistently produces guys. 
uh, like that. And that does hit home with quarterback recruits. I, I fully oh, yeah. believe it does. Um, there's, there's a reason, you know, the best running backs end up going to Georgia or the best linebackers used to end up going to Penn state or, you know, stuff like that, because you, you gain that identity and you have to be able to keep that. So re- I, I think Louisville could do a better job of being, you know, I don't know if you want to say you're QBU or, but you are a place that produces very high level college quarterbacks. Use that to your advantage. Maybe they already do on the recruiting trail and I'm not aware of it. Uh, but the social media aspect of things is just a huge part of recruiting now. So put out as many of those as you can. And I think you'll see some results. Yeah, it seems like they are starting to trend in the right direction with the amount of content they put out in regards to, you know, the actual jersey uh, number retirement with all the videos that they put out the day of. They but killed no, you, that. They really did. They, they absolutely killed it. But, yeah, Louisville, if, if they're known for any position, it's quarterback, you know, with Lamar, Teddy, even before that, Stephon LaFours, uh, Chris Redman, Brian Brom. Yeah, it was huge. Like, if there's any positional pipeline – from Louisville to the pros or from high school to Louisville, we got to get somewhere along the lines. It's, it's quarterback. It's the most and important so, position. Yeah. <laughs> that's the and, thing. And, I mean, if you got to pick one that you want, you want to keep hitting on, then that's the one right yeah, there. And, so. Yeah. Other than, other than the center, the quarterback's got the ball in his hands every single time. And, and, and Louisville is, seems to be pumping out quarter is among some of the, one of the best colleges in the last two ish decades at pumping out, you know, good call it collegiate quarterback talent. And yeah. it, it, it's a shame that they haven't marketed it, marketed it a little bit better, but it, it seems like they're starting to trend that way. At least, you know, fingers crossed for their sake. Yeah. That's all they can do is you got to keep pumping out uh hashtag, I guess, content. Cause everybody's all about content nowadays, but yeah, I mean, you, um, you and I both know that everything's yeah, about hashtag so, content. Yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there, there's more to be gained there. I, I think you're right there's there's they're starting to realize it a little bit more they just got to go full throttle with it if they want to make some more strides there oh absolutely well thanks again once again this is uh tyler griever with whs 11 man thanks for coming on no it was a little bit of short notice but oh, we were able to make it man. work and hopefully we'll be able to have you come on for another episode sometime i know i had fun chatting with you even though i've already chatted with you once earlier today <laughs> at the presser i know jake jacob i'm sure he enjoyed it too but he had to hop off for other work duties but this has been from the pink city chatting by week boston college and all other things global football related until next time Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.